I'm John Perry, and this is Selected Pros. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Somebody at a party told me that I should uh, change the name of this podcast, and I didn't really think much of it at the time, but uh, then I thought about it for three days and nights in a row. Uh, I don't think I'm going to change it. I put a poll up on Twitter, and I don't know. Right now, uh, don't change it is in the lead, followed by I I don't care. So it's probably going to stay, but figured I'd let you know that's what I've been dealing with. Uh, I hope everybody's having a nice week and getting vaxxed and celebrating my 30th birthday in style. I also wanted to say hello to Marina. got a very nice message from Marina in Brazil. It made me very happy to know that the podcast is making its way around the world. So thanks for reaching out, Marina. And uh... So yeah, a few nights ago, I interviewed Shai Watson. She's the author of Horror Vacui from House of Vlad Press and Cheap Yellow from Civil Coping Mechanisms. She's also the co-founder of Blush Lit. And her work has appeared in New York Tyrant and Hobart and uh, many, many other places. I read Horror Vacui and loved it for a lot of reasons. And if I had to choose some, I guess it would be that it's hilarious and sad and happy and cathartic. Uh, It really runs the spectrum of human emotion and it does so in beautiful language. And what more could you ask for? Um, It's cool, too. It's separated into sections so the first part's poems and then it's micro fiction or flex flash fiction or whatever you want to call it and then it ends with these quarantine diaries which really kind of bring everything together in such a cohesive and and nice way that uh this is expertly done i certainly won't forget it highly recommend you check it out we talk about that at length and uh, a lot more so by that, you can also follow Shy on Twitter at former Miss New Jersey, actually former Miss NJ. Do that. She's a really good Twitter user. It's fun to follow her. You never know what she's going to say, so do it for the entertainment value alone. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this discussion, and if you do, or if you do not, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and, uh, and or message me on Twitter at SelectedPros. Always love hearing from you. Yeah. All right. Shy time. Thanks so much for coming here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. What'd you do today? I woke up. Oh, I was supposed to go pick up my vegetables from the farm stand, which is still like by my bedside apartment. But now that I like basically live with my boyfriend in Ridgewood, I... Oh, that's kind of far away. Well, it's like... It's like a 12 minute bike ride from the bedside apartment to the Ridgewood one, okay. but... I did not, like, you can't, like, bike with all your vegetables, because I get so many. Um, I'm signed up for, like, the egg share, the bread share, the yogurt share, the apple share, like, all the veggies. So I um, canceled my farm stand thing. Like, I had I had someone who worked there, because they called, and they were like, you're running late, are you going to come? And I was like, can you just, like, take it for me, and I'll call an Uber to you. So I had, like, 
all my farm stand stuff Ubered to me this morning. <laughs> and then I canceled my subscription because I just like should not. It's like you have to pick it up by 11 a.m. on Saturdays and I'm never up. What's the, like what is the farm stand? It's just like they source local vegetables and stuff. So it's like a, basically like just a, a farmer's market. Yeah, but yeah. you get like a weekly subscription. So you get like, you know, I get like my, yeah, like bread eggs, pierogies, pasta, pasta sauce, and then like a bunch of just like assorted vegetables that changes okay. weekly. So anyway, did that. <laughs> and then um, put it. Wait, I have to interrupt because I'm pretty sure in Horror Vacui, you also write about forgetting to get your vegetables oh, from the vegetable stand. I think I did. Yeah, I do it all the time. And that's the thing is, like, I'm not a reliable person. So, like, yeah, I, ba- I basically had to quit because I kept, like, burdening these people by being late every week and, like, making them stick around for me. Or, like, I was, like, bribing one of my roommates to go pick up my vegetables for me and was, like, offering to pay them. And then they'd have to wake up early and walk over there. So I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm in a grocery shop like everyone else. Just order it online. Yeah. It yeah, I should do that. Um, Instacart? Yeah. I did that and then I unpacked some more because I've been like slowly moving into my boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And then I played tennis uh, with my friends Gabby, Callie, Blair, and Allison. Shout out. Park. Shout, <laughs> shout out to all of them. Uh, and then we walked to the carousel in the park. And it was too dark. We decided not to ride it. Um, Where is that Brooklyn Bridge Park? Forest Park. Oh, there's a which is in carousel. Queens. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. yeah. And it was, I think it was like five dollars a person to ride it, or maybe it was like two fifty. But that's nice. We didn't. Yeah, we sounds didn't like a great it. full day. I laid. Oh, on that was that like couch. the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I went and had dinner with my friend from Philly, Ava. Um, walked by my boyfriend's place of work and said hi real quick. And Where does he work? Uh, it's called Mesa Coyacon. It's like a Mexican restaurant on Graham. He bartends nice. there. Um, yeah, and the place where my friend elected to get dinner is actually the place that I used to work at when I first moved to Brooklyn. So I saw my little co-workers, had one glass of wine, and then came over here. Nice. That sounds like a good day. Yeah, that was a good day. And then you came here. Yep. So you're the second person. I, you're the first person I've ever interviewed in my home. Oh, okay. My well, apartment. it's so, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's yeah. great to have you. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you approved. I clearly, I clearly decorate it. Oh yeah, very, very <laughs> <laughs> super busy in here. <laughs> yeah, it's actually um, uh, so horror vacui means like fear of blank space, mm-hmm. and your your apartment is the, like the opposite of that. It's well, like a love of it. Yeah, it is. Um, Did you recently move in, or you just just don't? Do it. Just, <laughs> just don't do it. Yeah, I do nothing. Uh, it's really nice though. I like the white walls. You probably get really good sunlight during the day. Yeah, it is. It is nice. You know, sit around, mm-hmm. relax. But uh, yeah, I read. Um, I read your book. Yeah, thank you. I loved it too. Oh. Like, I mean, genuinely, I I actually thought at first I didn't read anything about it, mm-hmm. so I thought it was just like a, a book of poetry, which the poetry was great, and I was like. But then I was like, oh, wow, now there's a microfiction section. And then it was like, oh, wow, now there's COVID diaries. Mm-hmm. And they were like so pleasure, like cathartic and pleasurable to read, specifically the COVID diaries. Really? Yeah. yeah I, I actually looked at Goodreads the other day for the first time since Horror Vacui came out. And I was like reading reviews that people have left and they said the same thing. They're like, it was so good to hear people like a writer write about COVID and like the experience of quarantine. Yeah. Not in like a... 
like Don DeLillo type, like maybe like political way or something, but just about like the minutia and like the tedium of like every day. Yeah. Like going through this and, but there's like, there's so much I want to um, ask you about in it, but I guess the start is, uh, who's, this book is dedicated to the florist on Fulton Street. Oh yeah, and then the and then the florist uh, on Fulton Street is like a, makes an appearance in the poem, and I was just very curious in the book, and I was just very curious who who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not actually Fulton Street; it's like right off of Fulton on Shrook. But um, and now the flower shop is gone, which oh, really? is so fucked up. But there was this like little old lady, and I went there to buy flowers. Oh. Oh, yeah, I was getting them for, like, a performance art thing I did right before COVID. And um, I ha- I only had a $100 bill. So, like, she turned around and she pulled money out of her bra. <laughs> and then, like, turned back to me and gave me the change. And she was like, I'm sorry. Like, my mama told me to always, like, keep my money in my bra. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. And then uh, I went back to get flowers a couple more times, and she remembered me. Ah, that's every lovely. Time. And she and I like she would give me change from her bra, and I just thought that was yeah. Uh, that's kind of a cool <laughs> thing about New York. Sometimes I mean, or like cities in general, it's just like these characters that you bump mm-hmm. into. But that's really nice. That's like a lovely story. So I was yeah, that had me so curious because it was like Horror of Equity is dedicated to the florist on Fulton Street. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe what is that? And Florist on Fulton Street it's, just sounds so much nicer than Florist on Troop. Totally. You know? And I was going to say that. I was like, part of me was like, oh, it's not real. It just sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay. But um, <laughs> but no, I found it to be really, really, uh, just like really extremely well done. And one of the things that I love about it is the style of it. Don't read like too much poetry, uh, like contemporary poetry, but I don't think I've ever really encountered somebody with like one to two to three word phrases. Like, it's so, it's so minimal. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know, like, where you got that style from, or is it just, like, how your brain works? Is that how you think? I think it's just how my brain works, but, um, because I've been writing poetry since, like, fourth grade or something, like, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and had you ever tried doing, like, iambic pentameter, like, the long, flowy stuff? Or? Yeah, kind of, and it was all, like, really cringe. Like, I mean, I still, <laughs> and my mom's, there's, like, in the attic a whole box full of all my little notebooks, like my spiral notebooks and stuff that I would write all my poems. And they all like rhymed and were really (laughs) cheesy. And like, I was trying to do them in meter and stuff. But then I think, um, I don't really know how it shifted. I mean, when I started going to Naropa, which is where I went after Drexel, I transferred there and went for writing. I think I was just exposed to more stuff, but there was no like one writer who really influenced me or who I tried to emulate at all. But people have told me that my work reminds them a lot of Eileen Miles, um, who I love and actually have taken a workshop with since they taught at NYU for a little bit. But they, they write in like short little lines in a really similar way. And it's kind of like a, about like their day or like the minutia of life. But um, I think they're who I write most like. Um, yeah, I don't really know how it came about. It just slowly got shorter and shorter Mm -hmm. (laughs) i feel like when i'm at the end of my poetry career it'll just be like one word per line i mean that's the whole point right to say as much as possible in the shortest amount of space which i think you really pull off and there were there's like something that i i really love about uh your poetry which is like the way that you'll set up something beautiful uh you'll have like a a very beautiful like line or two and you'll kind of like immediately undercut it with something dirty and the way that you set up, like, so in this poem called, uh, it's, 
the Met poem three, which mm-hmm. I, I love the Met. Like one line is marital transgressions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> <laughs> shit. Then the next one is, is the most beautiful phrase in the English tongue. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't know, it's like this very unexpected way to take that uh, sentence. That's funny because it's like the opposite of what you said a second ago with like saying something beautiful than undercutting it. It's like saying something like or 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 crude and yeah. then turning it beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, I just I just like I've never. First of all, I laughed a lot reading this, and it, it, Good. yeah, which I is, love it when people tell me my writing makes them laugh. Yeah, it's like really. It was there's a lot of um, there's a lot of funny parts to it, which I don't know if that's like very common in poetry. Mm-hmm. Is it? I don't know. I mean, um, there's this writer, Sarah Galvin, who I really like, who lives in Seattle, and they write in paragraph format, and, like, the whole thing will be, like, a surrealistic joke, that, like, and it always ends on, like, it'll be really, really funny, and then it, like, the last line will be something that, like, really fucking hits you, and I actually interviewed them forever ago for Fields Magazine, and they told me that they like to um, use humor to kind of like open someone up, mm-hmm. like, and then once someone's open up and their defenses are down, you can hit them with something harder because they're going to be more like, they're going to trust you more mm-hmm. and be open to like the vulnerability of that. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. That makes a lot of sense. their poems are hilarious. And Eileen Miles, their poems are pretty funny too. Cool. Ariana Rines, or Rains, I don't know how to pronounce it, but... Um, she taught at Columbia for a while. Her poems are really funny. Yeah. Yeah. I well, think it's more common nowadays than it used to be. I think it's pretty common in contemporary poetry. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you definitely like... Yeah, I was I was giggling throughout. Good. So that's good. <laughs> um, speaking of like Columbia and whatever, uh, I wanted to ask you about how you're feeling about the MFA. I'm Congratulations, really by the way. That's like awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Is I it mean, a poetry program? I'm going for fiction. Cool. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I feel like whenever I posted about it, everyone just assumed I was going for poetry because people know of me as a poet. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'd been working on a novel for the past couple years, which is finally out on submission. But I realized I have a lot to learn with writing prose and editing. And I feel like poetry is something that I already have a pretty good grasp on. Like, I feel like I've really found my voice with poetry. Like, I know what I'm doing and how to edit it. But fiction is a lot more difficult for me. Mm-hmm. So In I what want sense? people to teach me. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> well, the... Well, like, for instance, like, the first draft of the novel that hopefully going to get picked up soon, like, I had, like, really bad dialogue tags. Like, like she grimaced or, like, she, I mean, you know, like, replied. Like, I didn't know that just saying, like, said is the best mm-hmm. thing to do. Like, I think it's just, like, I read too much Harry Potter as a kid <laughs> or something. Like, there'd be, like, way too much description or... Like, I just didn't know how to write in a way that sounded like my voice with prose because I was, like, trying to do it like a book or something. Um, And, I mean, I've been writing fiction for, like, three years now, and I'm definitely, like, like, I can write something and it's not bad Mm -hmm. now. (laughs) But but I, I, like, still feel like I have a lot more to learn. I just feel like I'm a lot more of a newcomer to it. Yeah. It's got to be really hard going from kind of, like, the stuff that you've been writing to a full length novel right yeah it was crazy well i i thought i was gonna write a short story and then it became a novel mm. we, can you tell me a little bit about what's yeah, it, what yeah. it's about so i um i was just like writing down like short story ideas and one of them was like girl who works at mcdonald's weird relationship with her manager mm-hmm. and then i started writing that and then it became like 
about like this girl who works at McDonald's in the rural Midwest has a weird relationship with her manager. Sure. But it's like about way more like she has like this alcoholic negligent mom, these friends she parties with. Um, she gets, she like wants to be an architect, gets kicked out, moves in with these older boys who are kind of bad influences. Um, you know, does drugs, falls in love. It's kind of like a, like a coming of age story Mm -hmm. about like, like a poor kid in the Midwest who like, works at McDonald's and, and lives nowhere and wants to get out. Um, it's pretty cool how it, it kind of all sprouted out from that one idea. Yeah, like all, all yeah. The I mean, the first draft was, like, nearly autobiographical, but I did nine drafts, and, I mean, only, like, 10 or 20% of it has anything to do with my real life at this mm. point. Like, I just continually fictionalized it and fictionalized it. And... Yeah. Are you from the Midwest? Yeah, I'm from Missouri. Okay. Mm-hmm. I so, I think it was in a uh, horror vacuity, but it was like I thought for some reason I thought you were from California. Oh, uh, I was born in California. Oh, maybe it's, it's in I don't there. know if you've ever seen somewhere. that anywhere. Oh, really? I think. Maybe. I mean, I've been to I've been to California a lot as an adult. Okay. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so Missouri, huh? Mm-hmm. What is like what what was what was it like there? I mean, we're, we're gonna find out in the novel, maybe, but. <laughs> It was a town of, like, 3,000 people that I grew up in. Mm. So, I, like, across the street, there was a dairy farm. I lived on a gravel road. Like, uh, really Republican, really conservative. Yeah. Like, 100% white, basically. Um, I mean, it was boring yeah. <laughs> and stifling. And um, I don't know, but it was also really quiet. I mean, you could see the stars. Yeah. You could hear the cicadas. Like... You know, we left the front door unlocked all the time. Like, it was just nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when things did happen, they were, like, the most fucked up things. Like, teachers getting caught filming students using their bathroom who they're hiring to babysit their kids. Like, <laughs> like you know, like, the stuff that would happen. Or, like, uh, like this... Like, the future Farmers of America teacher, like, drunk driving with his kids and getting in a wreck at, like, 1 a.m. Like, just, like... Like, it was either, like, extremely scandalous or nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel similar. very all-or-nothing town. Um, so when did you leave? You're like When I was 18. Where'd you go? Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I went to Drexel for a year okay. before I transferred out to Boulder. Okay. Yeah, and anyway, I mean, going from Rogersville, Missouri to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Huge. was insane. Yeah, yeah, no, I bet. What did you, what does it feel like? You're just like, I don't understand. I it. felt so free. I mean, like... I immediately made a bunch of friends who had things in common with me, you know, which I, like, I mean, I wasn't, like, so special in high school. Like, I mean, I, I had friends and I got along with people, but, like, I was I was interested in stuff that only, like, older guys I had crushes on were interested in mm-hmm. or whatever. But then, like, when I moved to Philly, like, everyone in my grade was, like, into the same stuff as me. Like, the girls I lived with, like, you know, I did a bunch of drugs. I, like dated old guys for money i like walked around the city at like 2 a.m like tripping ball like it was just it was just really exciting and mm-hmm. fun and yeah. like all, i mean just suddenly i had access to all this stuff that i did like things i didn't even know existed like money like uh just like full debauchery yeah <laughs> were you writing at that time Poetry, yeah. Yeah? So you started as a kid and then you just kind of been doing it ever since? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Those are some good experiences. To, to yeah, have for, for yeah. Poetry. I was really bad at putting them into language at the time because I was like 18, you yeah. know, but... <laughs> By the way, I just want to go back to exactly like the pinnacle of what I was talking about earlier about how you like undercut things mm-hmm. in a very, like in a really good way. This is from, this is from uh, Met Poem too. 
but you have this stanza where it's like, as prolific as a mannequin holding a fishing pole, shower streaming down my back, I just want love. Quote, unquote, LOL, I feel you, but do you really? <laughs> it was, like, so unexpected. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I could almost, like, hear you laughing when you wrote that. Um, Thank you. I mean, all the Met poems were just, like, I wrote them all at the Met. and Like, like, li- like standing like, in the yeah, Met? Yeah, like, walking around the Met and just, like, uh, when lines would come into my head, I would type them into my notes. Mm-hmm. So they weren't even necessarily related. It was just, like, a stream of consciousness thing, like... While I'd be at the Met for like three hours or whatever, like that's, as they'd come. That's like that's actually really cool. I kind of Bud told Bud told me once that he always writes uh, Bud Smith that he always writes a story on his stories on his phone like mm, at work. Yeah, and well, he's at work. Yeah, yeah and so it's much. like it's like some it's it's totally an accessible way to do it. But there's almost something incredibly interesting and immersive thinking about you like in the Met mm-hmm. writing it at the time that you're there. It's, I don't know. It's strange. Most people just would like work on memory. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, I've only done it. Wait, do I have a? I think I might have a fourth Met poem now on my computer. Yeah, mm. so I've done four so far. Every time I go to the Met, I write a really long poem. Um, it just surprised me immensely that your hand came out of your neck. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm never using sleeves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's a that's a really cool idea. So I was gonna sort of ask where the like. Where did horror back we start? Like, when did you know that you were going to have a book of this? I asked my agent if I, like, if she would want to try to do a two book deal with my novel mm-hmm. with like a poetry book too. And she was like, if you do a poetry book, it's going to have to be like after the novel and you need to make sure there's like, I think she said like a year and a half in between or maybe two years in between. And I knew that I would not like, where are these rules Four coming years from? years from now. Just, like, um, for, like, when you ask friends for favors to, like, be interviewed somewhere and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and like if you're getting publicity for one thing and then, like, immediately there's another thing. Like, it's just, like, not yeah, as good for, like, uh, yeah. like, press or whatever. So I knew that my poems would be, like, four years old at that point, And mm-hmm. I already had, like, 130 pages or whatever in my computer of poems, like, since Cheap Yellow, my last book. So I was like, she was like, if you want to, you can publish it like now, um, but you need to do it soon. And Brian had already reached out to me in the past and asked me if I had anything. And I was like, oh, no, not really. But then I don't know, like the pressure was on. I was like, I have like three months to publish a book of poetry. Mm -hmm. So I threw it all together. And then I, I just like I did the sections and then. I was writing the dream sequence, uh, the imagined dreams thing, like right before that. And then I was doing the quarantine diaries for Newest York for their blog. So then I just, yeah, sectioned it off. And Yeah, how'd you make that choice too? I think it's really cool. I, I mean, I don't think I've ever really read anything that's like poetry and fiction and essay all in one yeah. book. And they all, it all felt related. It was, I didn't feel like you had just like thrown stuff together. I mean, it, felt like the voice was felt like it was yeah it was all kind of interconnected and contained thank you i just had all three things and i didn't want any of them to expire basically like i'm just not i don't like something that i've written after like a year or two Mm -hmm. anymore like it's just you know my voice changes like my influence changed so 
I just put them all together. I don't know. (laughs) And I I, I think the reason the voice sounds the same is because they're all written within, like, the same year or two. Okay. You know? And, like, a a lot of it was during quarantine. Even a lot of the poems were, I think, poems are kind of chronological, kind of. I'd say, like, the last, like, 15 of them were written in the past year. Mm -hmm. And then all the imagined dreams were written in, like, March last year. And then, of course, the quarantine diaries. So. Yeah. I think the reason that the quarantine diaries for me, like, I loved all of it, but I think the reason for the, the quarantine diaries for me, again, is like what we were talking about earlier before we started recording was like the catharsis that came with it. But like that section in particular, it's almost wild because the masks and the, at least in my opinion, in one of your poems, you have something about a, uh, someone doing Tai Chi with a, with a surgical mask mm-hmm. in the poetry section. So in my brain, at least, I was like, okay, so COVID is starting. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like you're like there's like breadcrumbs of it. Yeah, that was in March, I think. Yeah, like in the poetry section mm-hmm. that carries through all of the sections, but then we end with like, and it's just like a very honest. I mean, we end with COVID, like we mm-hmm. end in the middle of quarantine. Yeah, and it's kind of cool to watch it like uh, evolve. Yeah, remembering it was such a crazy time. Yeah, did it feel <laughs> good though to like write? Did it feel good to write these like quarantine diaries? Like, did it, did it help you like understand the situation better? Yeah, maybe. And I mean, it definitely helped me catalog it because I don't journal very much normally. But when Zach reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do the quarantine diaries for New York, I I told him I'd do them once a week. There was no requirement. It was just like, if you could at least do it once, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I will do it weekly. And I did it weekly for a while. And I feel like I remember a lot more clearly what was going on at the beginning of quarantine because of the diaries than I do, like, after I stopped writing them in, like, the summer or the fall. Like, I don't know what I did during that time. Like, so even if it didn't – I mean, I'm sure it helped me process it in some way then, but it also has helped me process it now, like, looking back because it's cataloged and I'm able to return to it Mm -hmm. um, from a distance and, like, retroactively process it, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's been it's been fun reading them again and like understanding what all I was going through at the time, and then like comparing it to how I'm feeling now and how I'm dealing with COVID and everything now. And how how are you? How are you feeling now? You like? Oh, I'm feeling great because I had it like a month ago, so I'm immune. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Like I didn't even realize how anxious I was until after I had it, and now that I'm not anxious anymore. You know, like I'd be on the train car and there'd be someone not wearing a mask or something, and I inevitably coughing. Feel yeah, yeah, yeah. and I like my chest would feel all tense, and like I would like often get off at the next stop and switch cars, and then lo and behold, someone else isn't wearing a mask. You know, it felt like I was trapped in some kind of anxiety nightmare all the time. Um, And now, if I feel like it's before COVID just because, like, I'm not worried about getting sick or getting anyone else sick, at least for, I don't know, the CDC says you're good for at least three months after having it, you know. Is that it? Well, yeah. That's, like, what they tell you is, like, a sure bet. But I've looked at studies, and they last more, like, five to seven months. My boyfriend got it in um, April of last year, and I had it last month, so that would be, for the record, um march um the first week of march and he hung out with me the whole time and he didn't get it so his antibodies lasted like 11 months at least i've heard that with so many people too yeah like one partner gets it and the other doesn't yeah so it makes and we like you know slept in the same bed like we just hung out as if i didn't have COVID. right right yeah Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you're free now. I'm free now. Yeah, I'm I back. Really you're, you already had it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's great. Uh, I think it's very interesting that you're writing a novel now, but something about like poets writing novels. I, I always felt like fiction writers should read more poetry. Mm, yeah. Because it like helps you, kind of what you were describing earlier, like not being too wordy. Or mm-hmm. like not saying things that don't sound right. You know, like she, she grinned. Yeah, as like yeah. A, as like a dialogue tag or something, but just because the language is so precise in poetry. So, do you think there's anything for fiction writers to gain by like studying poetry to a greater extent? I think of the fiction I've read by poets. My favorite thing is just that the language is more beautiful. Like a lot of the times, the sounds of the sentences are better. I mean, well, Eileen Miles, for instance, um, writes a lot of prose and is also a poet. I mean, there's got to be a lot. Ben Lerner yeah. is a poet who also writes fiction. He shows up in horror back with. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's in the, he's in the Met with me. Yeah. He's he's the one who said marital transgressions. Um, I mean, you know, that's like a common phrase, but it, it was in uh, Topeka School. And I was just like, that is so beautiful. That it's the most beautiful And then he said anachronistic, like, all the time in that <laughs> book. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that, like, poets generally have really pretty sentences mm-hmm. once they start writing fiction. And it's also, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm an ENFP, so I'm all about... Like, trying a bunch of different things. I mean, like, I've made perfume. I've done, uh, you know, I was, like, going to school for architecture, then interior design, then product design, then poetry. And now I'm working on fiction. And I, like, I took, I spent, like, I went to way too many classes two years ago with, like, the perfume thing. And then I went to this, like, BDSM camp. And then I went to, I got trained in Wait, hypnosis. I'm oh, a trained hypnotist. I would like to know more about the BDSM camp. <laughs> there's, a, there's a poem in there that's, like, yeah. Midori flogs the regional YMCA uh, girl. Oh, my God. That was so fun. It was, like, this weekend-long thing. It's called Fort FM. And Midori, she's, like, the godmother of BDSM. She teaches it. My friend Rachel actually recommended it to me. Um, sounds like when she took it, though, years ago, it was more, like, uh, practice-oriented with, like, techniques of BDSM. But by the time I took it, Midori had turned it into something more about, like, empowering women and, like, oh. um, doing, like, BDSM scenes with, like, a lot of communication and, like, finding out what the person's into, what they're not into, you know, a lot about, like, respecting boundaries and stuff. So... I kind of felt like it was training me to go to, like, play parties or something and to also, like, feel confident, which, like, neither – I'm already pretty confident and I don't go to play parties. <laughs> I was wanting, like, more, like, practical application knowledge. I worked at a dungeon for, like, two days after I did that workshop, though. Like, uh, I emailed this uh, – it's called Donatella's Den. Where and, was it? Uh, Koreatown. Okay. Yeah. and then, But then, like – I worked there and I had no idea what to do, <laughs> but I thought that like her class was going to teach me how to be a dominatrix and it really didn't. And then none of the girls at the dungeon wanted to like teach me how to do anything. Cause you're their competition. I guess. Yeah. So I just quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I spent, and that was like, it was like $4,000 to, to do the weekend with it her. Weekend? It was a weekend. Jesus. And I saved up so, like everything I had to do it because I was like, I will be a professional dominatrix if it's the last thing I do. And then 
yeah, the perfume class, I don't know. I did not save any money at all that year and went into credit card debt just because I wanted to try and remember yeah. things. And anyway, um, that's why I want to write fiction now. Yeah. Instead of poetry, like, it's just something new. And I think that fiction writers should work, write poetry because it's something different. And, mm-hmm. like, it'll just activate a different region of their brain. You know, I feel like the the more we do different things, the better we are at all of them. Yeah, or they're more like different flavors we can bring to the new projects we do, the more experiences we have. So other than um so other than like dialogue and shit, like what's been what's been like the hardest uh thing about writing a novel? Thinking that broadly about it? Structure. Structure. I've been writing stories lately, which I'm like obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Um I'm like way more interested in the stories I'm working on now than the novel I wrote, but Yeah, like, making it a normative novel structure was the hardest part for me. Um, Merging characters, cutting extraneous characters, building tension, especially following through with things. Like, I just have characters, like, drop off and never get mentioned again. (laughs) My agent was like, like, whatever happened to Sarah or whatever happened to this person? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so just, like, to have through lines and to have the reader keep reading for something other than the narrator's voice Mm -hmm. which is like that's probably the strongest thing was the narrator's voice and honestly the dialogue i think is really good Mm -hmm. but yeah like plot yeah because with poetry you just kind of like it's about the words yeah Yeah, you just like freestyle everything yeah plot's a killer Mm -hmm. what's the plot of your what's the plot of your novel it's it's basically like like, her trying to save money to leave but like She's kind of, like, at war with her mom, too, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to give too much away, but her mom, like, makes it increasingly difficult for her to go off to college, even though she's not living with her, Um, and I can't really say how, because that comes, like, maybe in, like, the last third of the book. Yeah, don't don't, don't ruin it for us. There's some mom shit, there's the thing with her manager, she's falling in love, so there's, like, a few plots. Cool, that's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's always the hardest part, I think, for people is, like, I mean, a lot of my favorite novels or a lot of the favorite novels, uh, the people that I know are oftentimes plotless. Yeah. Or very close to I mean, I love reading plotless stuff if the voice is good. Yeah, like agents or like the practical world kind of kicks in and they're like, yeah, you need to. Yeah, they're like, no one's going to buy this unless you. No one's going to buy the movie rights. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, I really enjoy, like, my agent is a genius and like everything she told me to do just made it better. Like, I felt like I was challenging myself mm-hmm. in a good way. Like, I do, I do not think the first draft of my novel was good at all. Like, I'm yeah, really yeah. glad that she didn't, like, send it off then because, I don't know, I've liked having to challenge myself to, like, build structure, and I think it's just made it so much better, and it's also made me a better writer to have to push myself to make things happen that weren't already there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, that makes sense, and it's like, yeah, it's a good challenge mm-hmm. to have to, like, I mean, yeah, to like create a good story yeah you know and then I mean? like the next novel i want to write i already have like the whole thing planned oh, out I love and that. it, it is awesome. like plot driven cool so well, i feel like all that practice with the first one it's like yeah now i know how to do it i'm pretty sure everyone always you know they say their first draft of their first novel is like if anyone saw it they'd, they'd be so embarrassed yeah i think it's supposed to be that is what i'm saying yeah it was cool. that's cool what's what's your agent's name monica woods okay how'd you guys find each other um she's my friend ben's agent uh Ben Fama. Okay. She's also Chelsea Hodson's agent and Chelsea Martin. Cool. Um she has a lot of really good clients who are all amazing writers. And I'm I'm sure if she had any hand in editing that would make a lot of sense because like all their books rule. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, she also runs Triangle House, which is a press you should look into if you don't already know of them. Yeah, They're I like don't. a magazine. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I will. That's that's cool. I, I don't know anything about Asians. She lives in Brooklyn. She's my neighbor. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Back to Horror Vacui. Vacui. Mm-hmm. Horror Vacui. Yeah. Is, uh, I wanted to ask you an extremely personal question. Okay. About spirituality. Okay. Because so much of it is like, there's there's so, so many nods to like Christianity or like classical religion but then you've got like witchcraft and occultism and stuff like that and it's Mm -hmm. like it makes it very it it makes it feel like a very like spiritual work in a lot of way and a lot of ways and uh so i just wanted to see where you stand oh yeah what is my spirituality yeah Um, or what was it at the time right or like or or even what was the what purpose did it serve while while you were like writing this book or finishing this book okay so my the Christianity stuff is my mom and stepdad are born again Christians, but only as of 2016. Okay. So, like, I was raised in a non-religious household, and then they, like, found God when I was, like, 23 years old and living in Kansas City. Um, so that's been really weird. Like, every time I go home now, that's, like, all they will talk about. Like, they're, like, extreme. They're at church all the time. They're also part of this cult that, like, isn't even involved in their church. Is it, is um, it, it's a cult cult, like, for sure? Yeah, they go to, like, a real cult. Wow. It's, like, it's like in the woods outside of Joplin, Missouri, and they, like, um, perform miracles through God. They, like, heal the blind and stuff. Like, for um, real? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so they do that. Uh, and, like, my stepdad has, like, a room in our house that he built on uh, that's called the Ark Room. And there's just, like, this giant fold-out of the history of, like, the Ark that takes up, like, the entire wall, like, like probably 20 feet because it, like, wraps around at the corner of the wall. And there's all this workout equipment, and that's where he studies the Bible. Okay. And it's just... So I, it's like, I don't know these people anymore because we don't talk about any of the things we used to talk about. Their personalities are completely different. I've often Um, heard with like born again, Christianity, I don't actually know anyone who's been born again, but that it's actually even more, like so much more intense. Oh, it's so intense. Than just like, had you been Maybe it's like all the guilt from like having not been Christians before or something. And they're just like, we got to really, really go hard now. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Yeah, we had to make up for lost time. Yeah. I mean, I just got back from like the Ark Encounter and the Creationist Museum with them in Kentucky a month ago. Um, It was insane. But I mean, my own personal thing i mean i went to like a buddhist college i've taken a lot of psychedelics Mm -hmm. like i i mean i was atheist for a while i guess like in high school and then like maybe the beginning of college i was just like god is dead (laughs) and like it's like a rite of passage in college yeah yeah you know i was reading uh like sartre nietzsche and camus and um oh shit who's oh wait that is sart um yeah i was reading a lot of like existentialist philosophy and uh you know i also read like the god delusion by richard dawkins yeah it was just like (laughs) and i was reading like ayn rand when i was in high school so i just like hated god (laughs) and then yeah and then i went to buddhist college and dropped what does that mean buddhist college like is Drexel, not Drexel, the no, place Naropa, before that. Yeah, okay. the place after it. Yeah, in Boulder. Um, so it was founded that, that's by. That's cool. That's an interesting. I don't even know that those existed. I knew that it was like you know Jesuit colleges or something like that. But I, I think know. it's I think it's the only Buddhist college okay. in I, America. Yeah. yeah, it's like it was founded by Allen Ginsberg, the poet, and Waldman, the poet, and this Tibetan Buddhist monk. 
And like we had to take classes on the Dharma. We had to meditate. Um, We'd like sit in a circle on meditation cushions for classes. I mean, there were some classes and some professors who we'd like sit at a desk and it would be. I only took one class of his lecture style, actually. It was mostly like everyone kind of spoke equally. I mean, the professor would maybe talk like 60% and then amongst the students would talk like 40%. That sounds like um, pretty incredible. Yeah. How did you find this? How did you find this place? My boyfriend at the time went to CU Boulder, and we were long distance my freshman year because I lived in Philly, and um, Drexel just, like, jacked up my tuition for the next year and did not adjust the scholarships and said they were going to keep doing it every year, and I realized That's I was being a lot of debt, so I had to find somewhere else to go. So I was looking at schools in Colorado, and I found it, and at the time I was reading Be Here Now by Ram Das, okay. which is like... Um, like a psychedelic Buddhist text. Um, and I was also just like tripping all the time. And I thought I was a Buddhist. So when I saw Naropa, this Buddhist college founded mm-hmm. by like a beatnik or like two beatnik poets, I was like, oh my God, I, I like have to go there. I think they have an MFA program, don't they? They do. Yeah. yeah the Jack Kerouac School of Disembodied yeah. Poetics. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's wild. What an interesting college experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it definitely comes through in your writing. Like, uh, I mean, people will have to see for themselves, but the, I think, I don't, I don't really have, I don't think I've talked with, with a lot of guests about like COVID before, but because it features so prominently in this, it's like kind of an interesting subject, but you talk a lot about like how there's been like regression, like that you've like regressed over COVID. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, the regression I, was actually referring to like the past two years, like before COVID, but okay. I, I also have regressed during COVID. Yeah. Like, I feel like cell phone dependence, like, I don't know about you, but my screen time has gone up to, like, six hours a day, and it used to be, like, two and a half, Mm -hmm. and, like, my attention span is not worth shit anymore, like, I feel like my brain fog is off the charts, like, I can't get myself to do anything, even though I have, like, infinite free time. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's tough, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, like, something, I mean, it's probably just not being outside and, like not having hope and everyone just like eating but yeah um, yeah no it was like because I, I almost felt like oh well you'll never have another time like an easier time to write mm-hmm. that's that's how it feels right but it's it's wrong yeah it is wrong <laughs> why is it wrong i'm trying to like figure out i feel out like why. it's because if there's too much time like your brain just gets lazy or something but if you're working and you have like a schedule and you know like okay these three hours are going to be my window like every weekend where i can write mm-hmm. then like your brain's still active because you've been doing all this other shit and then you, like, know you need to do it during that time frame. I mean, I feel like it's like having a deadline. Mm -hmm. You know, when life, like, forces you to have deadlines versus when there's just, like, infinite... I don't know. And, like, infinitude is also just scary. Mm -hmm. Like... (laughs) Yeah, like, now there's a sense that it's ending or whatever, maybe. Yeah. But, But in the beginning, like, the first year, it's like, oh, this could just go on forever yeah <laughs> you didn't really feel that it was going anywhere mm-hmm. so i don't know yeah so anyway when i read that about getting worse over covid i was like or i guess you were referring to a different time but i was like yeah yeah that's interesting no, I've, i mean i've just been like getting worse like since i started <laughs> but just, that's your arc yeah i just like my i'm just always going downhill oh <laughs> uh, that's great i don't know <laughs> Uh, oh, you know what's, I don't want to ruin the end of Horror Vacui. You can. But I don't want to ruin the end, uh, because I think it's, like, such a powerful ending, but I, I, you know, the, it kind of ends with this guy who comes, N, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who comes to the doorstep. Yeah, that was, and he was so wild. The reason that I felt like, so this is uh, May 19th, 2020, is the mm-hmm. date of the diary. Is like I felt like it was so, like, I don't know, prophetic, or it was such like, a perfect way to end it was because this guy, who presumably was real, mm-hmm. the, the, the story, I was going to ask you if the story is, like, real. Yeah, the story's real. He, Everything he, in the quarantine diaries is real. Yeah, he basically, like, embodies, like, all of the paranoia and conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the paranoia and conspiracy theorism of, like, our time and, like, one human character mm-hmm. during COVID who shows up at your door. Yeah. Right? It was, it was your door, your, your place. Yeah, and I'd also, like, met them earlier in the park. Yeah, so he, you, so basically, yeah, could you tell us the story of N? Because mm-hmm. this is wild. the park, yeah. Um, with one of my friends who, like, I played tennis with a couple times during quarantine. They were my neighbor. I'm like, I'm friends with so many of my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like I, I didn't like meet them from walking. I just like I happened to like live by like a lot of my friends. Um, so we were at Herbert von King hanging out, socially distanced and everything. It was in like, yeah, I guess May if that if that journal entries from Mm -hmm. may 19th um and then like this person came up to us and asked to use uh my friend sam's phone and they let them um but we're we're like kind of hesitant about it because it was like when covid was still like really really scary and like you know we were sitting six feet apart masks and stuff and this person in I wish I remember what their name was. I know it started with an N, but um, I don't remember what it actually was. I like the choice of just leaving it as N. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, they came up, wanted to use Sam's phone, and Sam eventually gave it to them, and then they, like, kind of, like, went off with it, and they, like, weren't wearing a mask. They just, like, accosted us, like, just, like, barefaced, like, Mm -hmm. right up at us, like, can I use your phone? Like, I'm trying to find my friend, and then, like... Then they gave the phone back and then just kind of, like, sat by us, like, a little too close, and we're talking a lot, and, like about um i mean they were just like i think i think like their mental health was not good or something because they were saying that like they were the uh police were spraying people with covid like liquid covid in the streets and like uh just like all this stuff and then they went back to yeah so then i don't remember it all too clearly because this was like a year ago Mm -hmm. but i do remember like the police spraying people with covid thing and then yeah, they, like, went off with the phone for a while, and my friend was, like, a little worried about it, I think, and then finally brought it back, and then, um, then they left, and then later on in my apartment, I was on, like, I think it was, like, FaceTiming my ex or something, um, and then I heard someone, like, come into the house and was, like, talking to my roommate, and I texted my roommate because I didn't want to, like, go out there and I was like hey like is everything okay like why is there someone in our house because it was like still like total lockdown mood like we weren't hanging out with people and my roommate takes me back and was like oh someone just like came in and like wants to like use my phone and it was like this person from the park and I don't even live like next door to the park Mm -hmm. I live like a couple and a half blocks from the park so it made no sense that this exact person would have like came to my door Yeah. Um, and then they're hanging in my roommate's room and we're like uh, like asking my roommate to like cover their phone while they talked and like we're just like really paranoid that like someone was watching them and then they like went into the kitchen and took a bunch of tin foil and like wrapped it around themselves to like block themselves from like emfs like electromagnetic frequencies and uh 
And then they like told then they were like writing all this stuff on a piece of paper because they didn't want like to be heard and then like the piece of paper like I looked at it after they'd left and it was like all this stuff about like trafficking rings. It was like QAnon stuff. Um, it was just like, yeah, it really was like a mixture of like all conspiracy yeah. theories. Like this person was just like very worried about like all of it. And then like my roommate was like really good to them and like took care of them and like gave them some water and stuff and then like ordered them an Uber to their friend's house. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah. Were they like on, it was probably a mental health thing. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. I don't know, but it was, yeah, it was just like a really disorienting experience and it's just like the like the odds of them like showing up to my house like after i'd yeah. seen them in the park and everything was like yeah i think so because they didn't follow me because like i went and did other shit that day like i didn't like go straight home you know like mm-hmm. there's no way but just like i don't that's know kind of like strange. i feel like it was like meant to happen or something yeah, like my roommate was, was like meant to help them out or something and it was meant to end your story yeah i guess so <laughs> or your book yeah, yeah. That, that is like that's pretty wild yeah but it was like a foreshadowing for just like I mean, it's just been, like, a really scary year all around. For sure. Yeah. And, yeah, I felt like that was, like, the perfect story to, like, or, like, diary entry to end on for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's, like, all this war stuff. All this like, war stuff. Well, you told, you told me that you were happy that I used Proton Mill. Uh, oh, yeah. And, um, and there's, a, there's a, you do write a little bit about, like, you reference, like, surveillance issues. Mm-hmm. Or, like, privacy. Like what do you what do you like? I don't have Instagram on my phone. I have Instagram on my burner. No Facebook. I don't have Facebook on my phone either. Yeah. I do have a Facebook. I do have an Instagram, but they're not on my iPhone. Why not on your phone? Because Instagram changed their terms of service. Like, I think like a month ago or something. They and like I read, I read them. Um, they can like watch you through your camera at all times, like even while you're on other apps, and they can monitor like your facial expressions while you're viewing certain ads, and like while you're on your other apps, they can track how long you're looking at each thing uh, before you scroll up. It just gets they can read your messages, like they have access to all your messages. Wow. Oh, and all your contacts, and they have access to like your iMessages. Mm-hmm. And this isn't made up; like this is real. No, so, like, yeah, no. I'm and I sure. do illegal things that I'm not going to talk about right now. <laughs> Um, so I had to like, yeah, I had to get that shit off my phone. I was like, I was like, I have a lot of texts in here that I do not want Marcus Zuckerberg (laughs) to be selling to cops. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, they've proven that they're going, you know, Liz always sometimes wonders if I'm paranoid, Mm. but I'm like, no, I just, I, I kind of vibe with like some of the things you talk about on Twitter and stuff. It's like a huge concern, like privacy. Yeah, Yeah. I just don't like. I don't really think, like, like the government mentally. gives a shit about, like, me doing drugs or whatever, but, like, if it, if it ever does come to a thing where they're, like, doing mass arrests or where, like, you know, we get, like, uh, good people points or whatever, like, mm-hmm. to be able to have, like, access to housing or anything like that. Yeah, like, yeah. I just so- know I would Social be t- credit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is a thing. Like, I don't want to be, like, fucked. Right. No, <laughs> like, I'm like... trying to not have anything on record, you know? Like, just in case. It's, like, a legitimate concern. Yeah. What's your relationship with, like, writing about the, you know, these kinds of things or, like, writing about the internet? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I don't know enough. <laughs> like, like, so, like, my roommate's a genius and, like, he knows, like, everything about everything. Um, and he kind of tells me this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the one who was like, hey, so Instagram's, like, changing their stuff. And 
informs me and then I make my decisions based off of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he also is like my main source of political news and everything. Um, well, I, I don't know. I just like, I don't even like want to think about it. I just yeah. want to avoid it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm sure like um, those kinds of themes do come up in my poetry and like, especially the stories I'm working on now, that stuff will come up. Mm-hmm. Like in the um, story I was telling you about earlier at the brothel, she's really paranoid because this NYPD van will like park outside and like people will, like prank call the place saying they're cops and like there's always this like feeling of being watched yeah. and like you know wondering if something bad's gonna happen and I do feel surveilled like all the time. I mean, if you look up like anywhere on like there's like little NYPD cams like on every block. I think you. I think every single block. Yeah, you're on, you're on at least one. They're camera. everywhere. Yeah. I didn't notice them until one time I was on mushrooms. I was like, "This is the worst <laughs> time to notice this." <laughs> yeah, no, that's awful. I was yeah. like, "Wait, they're everywhere." <laughs> they know. They just blend in, you know. Yeah, I used to like, think. Yeah, I used to like naively think that like, oh well, they're keeping us safe. Yeah. But, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, you have a really wonderful quote in here about privacy rights that I'm trying to find. I'm also like always hopping the turnstile, and then. Then I realize that they're, like, <laughs> recording me. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be, like, a girl with pink hair. Yeah. Uh, whose face we have recorded on this Instagram app. <laughs> uh, yeah, my boyfriend has Instagram on his phone, and, like, he'll scroll when we're in bed together, and I'm just like, oh, my God, like... Does he Does he, uh, does he worry recorded. as much? No. Okay. He thinks, like, no. <laughs> he thinks it's fine, I think. And yeah. I have TikTok on my phone, so he's like, you You're... can't talk about shit. You have TikTok on your phone. Like, you have, like, the Chinese government, like, has all your information. But I, like, never even open TikTok, like... I may as well delete it off my phone. Uh, I, look at it like I was going to say, you did not strike me as a TikToker. No, but. I look at it, like... Basically, just when my friends send me TikToks, I click it and it opens up in the app. Okay. I've made two TikTok posts. What were they about? What was the what was the gist? Well, one was like a, a bumblebee. This is when I was at Morris to Vita Mia, uh, like Gian's workshop. Mm. And there was like a bee just like twerking on a piece of ham. So I like recorded that and like zoomed in and out and like played like a booty dancing song. Did that one do well? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm, like, completely anonymous on TikTok. Okay. Um, and then I did one of a pizza box, um, with this, like, handsome-looking mustachioed, uh, like, pizza guy, and it says, like, call, call back some, t- I don't know, and I, like, zoom in and out and play Call Me Maybe. They're really bad. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm, TikTok not is an, not my It's not an art platform. you're willing to, to master? No. Oh. <laughs> I probably should just delete it off my phone. I had this, like, freak out about not being Gen Z recently, and then I, like, downloaded TikTok and started listening to Billie Eilish and, like, you mean there was, like threw a, away my straight, like, jeans. Like, you wanted to be? I want to be Gen Z. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to... What are... I mean, I don't like... It. What generation are you? I'm 28. You're 28, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not, like, that far from Gen Z, but I don't want to, like fade out you know no i yeah i mean i've been i right I, but uh no i know the feeling yeah you know i don't want to be like a dorky millennial you won't. ever you won't no be. you've already written a book that's more than most millennials but there are like. a lot Two of really books. dorky millennials who've written books i i hate most books Especially. i don't want to become cringe like i just don't want to like be lame ever i want to know what what the young people yeah. think is cool i know and i never want to i never want to be like 
baby boomers or whatever. They're just like, I can't understand this. Yeah, and it's I, Im- it's impossible that I'll ever be able to understand like techno, like Apex Twin. I'm like, yeah. how is that possible that you, you can't just try? Yeah, like, re- keep an open mind. I'll listen to a hundred gex. Who's that? They're like some Gen Z thing. Have you heard of Black Midi? No. Oh, all right. They're Gen Z too. Okay, right? send it to me. Yeah. I mean, I love like you know, like Young Lean and um, mm-hmm. Blade and like. I was a huge uh, Little Peep fan. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, many yeah. Past, unfortunately. R.I.P. But... Little Peep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I can't find it. I have to have a better note taking system, but something about men putting tape over their cameras as if that would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Silly little things like that. Men asking why there's tape over the cameras if privacy isn't a mere charade. Is the line? Yeah. yeah. You memorize <laughs> all your poems? No, I just know the lines. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> Whenever I write a poem, I read it aloud to myself like 30 times in a row. I feel like that's essential. Yeah. I think sounds. I kind of like imprint them in my head. Do you, uh, do you, do you like reading in public? Yeah. Yeah? Do you, did you do it? Uh, frequently before. Yeah, I did readings a lot. Like at KGB? I've done a reading at KGB. I've done two readings at KGB. One in the red room and then one in the upstairs room. Cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be really fun to see when all this shit's over. They were for friends' book releases. One was for Bud Smith's book and then one was for Oliver Zarandi's. Okay. Which uh, which Bud Smith book? I think it was for Double Bird. Okay, cool. I just read that this year and it's like a wonderful... It's uh, so good. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really. We interviewed each other back in like 2018, I guess. Mm. I'll send it to you later. But, yeah, please um, do. Yeah, it was, it was like about Double Bird and Cheap Yellow, I think. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, well, I haven't read Cheap Yellow yet, but I, I would like to. Yeah, you should. Yeah. It's pretty good. Do you like it? What was it? You have like a favorite of the two? Um, I mean, I have like chat books from earlier that like maybe I wouldn't recommend, but I think I think Cheap Yellow is a good cool. book. What, what um, was the What was the gist of Cheap Yellow? It was all poetry, except the end, there was this, like, I guess it was, like, my first try at prose. I wrote this, like, long, rambling thing. It was so much like Scott McClanahan's The Sarah book, because I oh, just okay. read it. So it was this kind of, like, breathlessness, like, talking about a relationship, like, my big ex, um, who I, like, a lot of the poems in Cheap Yellow were about. Um, and it was maybe, like, eight pages or something. But besides that, it was all poetry. Cool. Um, and it was broken up into sections based on, like, different shades of yellow. So there's, like, cheap bleached hair yellow, like, like stained sheets yellow, like, piss, dehydrated piss yellow, mm. stars on a wizard hat yellow. And they were all, like, like, the stars on a wizard hat yellows were, like, my more, like, mystical and, like, spiritual poems. And then, like, the, like, Miller High Life yellow was, like, my, like, drunk, like, yeah shithead poems and you know it's kind of like broken up like that that sounds really interesting and it was like early 20s shit it was when i was like messy as fuck yeah. so they're like really wild poems yeah. about like crazy things i did who who published that was it uh civil coping mechanisms okay okay do you drink do you recommend soylent oh i did that um, comes up all the time in this book yeah, I wrote a lot about Soylent. That was like my quarantine drink of choice. I um, It's just like it packs all the nutrients into a smoothie or something and you're like done. It's like all one drink. Yeah. yeah. So at the beginning, or I guess it was like right before quarantine, I went through a breakup last February with the glitch video ex Tony, who <laughs> like is great. Um, but I was really, really sad for like, like a month or two and I couldn't really eat like when I'm sad I 
Like some people when they're really sad, they want to eat a lot. And then for me, it's like, I, I can't eat at all. Um, and I like asked my dad what to do. And he was like, well, maybe you should get like those insure drinks, you know, that I guess those are marketed more towards older people to give them all their nutrients. Um, and I was like, no, but I got Soylent and I got the one, I got the mocha one, which has caffeine and L-theanine. And I would drink them every morning. Me and my roommate, Alex, started getting, like, the giant cases of them delivered. Mm -hmm. Would you, like, feel better? we had, like, one or two every day. Like, did it feel better? Yeah. Well, it was, like, calories. And I couldn't. I, like, straight up couldn't eat solid foods. So, like, it. But, so, yeah. At the beginning, it was, like, because I needed to eat. I was. I lost, like, 10 pounds from my breakup. And then once I could eat again, I just kept doing it because it was, like, breakfast and coffee in one. And it was, like... When you're buying the boxes, it comes out to like three dollars and thirty cents per like per meal, basically. Yeah, yeah, and coffee. Yeah, so it's like yeah a no brainer. But then, um, actually, just very recently, it became disgusting to me. That's weird. Like maybe a month ago or something. I think it was like when I had COVID, uh, which changed my taste. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like couldn't really drink them anymore. Mm. So now I have you know I grind my coffee, make a little French press, and. Cool. Uh, me and Kirk get daily harvest smoothies. So, well, I always felt like you know, reading uh, horror vacuum. There's like a lot of reference to Soylent, which I I like. It, it has an effect, and also like pharmaceutical, like either drugs or like supplements. You know what I mean? And it mm-hmm. almost feels like all, all like a lot of your stories are, or a lot of the poems are about. It almost gave me this feeling of like sparseness in life, or like. You're basically just getting by with like the, what what you need. Like you, you don't want to think about food. You like you like almost like sen- some sort of sensory deprivation where instead of like <laughs> instead of like eating or whatever you're drinking soil and instead of like yeah eating vegetables or like working out or whatever it's like you're taking these supplements and and like they keep, they keep coming up. Like a lot of the times I had to Google them and I would find like oh I take this, so many supplements. yeah I would find it and I was like oh this is some some sort of plant that boosts testosterone or something or, or, or whatever and I was like that's so interesting that mm-hmm. these show up so frequently in there well I can't really cook and like at the beginning of quarantine all the restaurants were shut down yeah so and I was like afraid to order in and stuff at the very beginning for, um, for what just because of the virus you mean yeah. yeah and I mean I I did like the farm stand still so I'd get like vegetables and I just pretty much like put them in the oven and then take them out. Like, I, mm. I don't know how to, like, make a meal. I don't know how to, like, mix ingredients. I would just eat, like, potatoes. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> carrots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I do feel like I pretty much just, like, eat to get by unless I can go out to eat. Because I love, like, spending a bunch of money at restaurants <laughs> that I don't have. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm a big foodie if it if I can. But if not, then it's just, like, bare bones. Like, my mom didn't teach me how to cook or anything. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it has a really cool effect in your writing where it's just like, it's it's one of those details that says so much about, I just, yeah, I really appreciate it. Like I was like, oh, she like doesn't want to eat. Yeah. And she like doesn't want to like spend time thinking about. And like, like to cook, you have to spend so much time. Yeah, yeah. Like now that places are open again, like I'll have like my daily harvest smoothie, which takes like no time at all. And then I eventually get hungry and then I'll go get like an egg and cheese. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's cheaper to eat out in New York if you don't really like care about like what you're eating yeah no <laughs> you know, i think that's then definitely to grocery true because every time i go grocery shopping i'll spend like 80 dollars and then like a lot of it'll go bad because i don't know how to like properly store certain vegetables mm-hmm. like i learned last week that you're supposed to keep collard greens like in a like dampened 
paper towel in like a half open bag and like the crisper drawers. I did not know that. Like Kirk had to look it up because mine went bad in like two days and I didn't know why. <laughs> like there's you're just like, like too much to know. Like I just want like an egg and cheese. Like I just bribed I just bribed my friends to pick this shit up from the uh, vegetable stand. Yeah. Guy, and now it's all already bad. I know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I had a lot of guilt surrounding the farm stand. I'm glad I'm out of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's just there's obviously there's just so much sensory detail and like I don't know I really loved reading it. Thank you. You just have such a great voice and like cool. Cool. Thanks thank so much you. for coming yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for the tea. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to episode 15 with Shai Watson. This week I'll be sitting down with John Lindsay, author of Body High and All Around amazing dude uh to discuss his newest work and his life and all that same old selected prose stuff really excited to talk to him though and uh yes questions concerns you know where to find me goodbye until next time